doing some work, and, and I promise you he has been working, and uh, he's been just about all over this country in the last few months, and uh, he's here with us today. And ever since he came in, I said, now you're going to preach for me at some point, and uh, you can tell the church what's going on with you up here, but I want you to preach for us. And, uh, and today's that day. He's going to preach for us tonight. And uh, I appreciate Brother David. He and I, uh, Brother David, how about making your way on up? He and I have got to know one another a little bit better this time around. Uh, the first time he was in was right in the first year that I was here at Landis, and he was busy, and we were in a whirlwind trying to get everything situated and settled in. We didn't spend a lot of time together, but uh, in this trip in, he and I have still not spent as much time together as we could, but we spent more time together. I appreciate uh, what he does for the Lord. I appreciate how the Lord's using him and his family, and uh, I want you to pray for him tonight. He is going to give us an update of his work that's going on, and then he's going to preach to our hearts, whatever the Lord has put in there. So I want you to give him, give him your full attention, hear him gladly as he preaches to us tonight, and I know he's going to bless your heart, all right? Amen. I think we're on. And uh, I want to start out by saying thank you. Um, I know some of y'all know who I am. Um, Got to know a few of you down the uh, down the last few months, and, and I, I just want to say thank you. Church means a lot more than than you probably rec- realize. Um, try to mind the Lord tonight best I can and uh, preacher if it's alright I think I'll preach first if that's alright and uh, got your Bible turn to the book of Jonah real quick I'm not going to tell you anything tonight you've probably never heard nothing special um but I woke up this morning, not because I wanted to, but I got up because that's what we're supposed to do. And uh, But I got up this morning, and I've had this book on my heart all morning, and um, I, I studied it all morning. I, I studied it all afternoon. I've got several messages that I preach out of the book of Jonah, and and I've seen some things today I guess I've never seen before. Maybe that's my ignorance. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, but I, I want to try to mind the Lord in what I say tonight. And I hope, I hope nothing I say comes across in the wrong way. Because I don't mean anything. If, if you get offended tonight, it's not because I'm trying to. Um, but I want to say what's in my heart in the way that God gave it to me. And um, when we look at the book of Jonah, and I'm going to try to move through it and get to where we're going, but I, I want to lay a little bit of a foundation. In the book of Jonah, chapter number 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amenitai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee. Now, 
as preachers, we, we, we read through things. As Christians, we read through things and we, uh, we see things. Names jump out at me oftentimes. I like names. I like to look at names. You, um, you know, we. I, I have four kids. Some of y'all know that. Our latest one, Emily or Everly, we had her um, when when we knew we were having Everly. My wife was wanting a boy. I was kind of wanting a boy, but I didn't really care which way it went. Um, but but one of the biggest struggles we've always had is naming them. But the reason I always have a trouble naming them is when I hear a name, I automatically think. How would I pick on this person if they had that name? And I know that may seem crazy, but that's just kind of the person that I am. I, I always pick on people. And, and if you don't know that, just ask Lindsay, because right before I walked up here, she said, no embarrassing stories. And the reason she said that is she knows that I like to pick on people. And I, I only pick on people I like, typically. Um, some people I just pick on them because they deserve it, but... But names always jump out at me. And our littlest girl, Everly, we, we, we found the name. I love the name. So I thought, well, I'm going to look up the name because names have meanings. And I, I was all excited and I found out that Everly just simply means a wild boar in a meadow. <laughs> Nothing much to it. And uh, she's going to hate me probably the rest of her life. But we still like the name. But I began to look here and we find the name Jonah. And Jonah's name means dove. And I, I began to look. Well, we got Jonah, the son of Amenitai. Amenitai means truth. So we have a dove that has truth. He's, he's the family of truth. Now I want you to remember those things because Jonah is a preacher. Jonah is a man that is to go to Nineveh, this country, God, and I believe this with all my heart, it's God's desire that all the world be saved. As a missionary, I believe that. As a Christian, I believe that. As somebody that just merely reads the Bible, it's clear and evident that God wants the world to be saved. That's why he sent Jesus Christ, so that all the world could be saved. That's why he redeemed the world, but went to heaven, but left us as the church to go and to tell the world that it's been redeemed. And that's what we're to go do. Well, Jonah here is, is, is a missionary going, to, he's a Jewish man that is going to reach a Gentile nation. Anybody else know of a Jew that went to reach a Gentile nation? I'm thankful that the Gentiles were being reached. And the gospel was the same. But we have here that Jonah decides not to go. He refuses to go. And it says that he went unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now I got curious, what, what does Tarshish, Tarshish have? Well, there's a lot of things that Tarshish had. Now, Jonah was running from the presence of God, but I believe that Jonah wasn't just thinking, I want to get away from God, but he was saying, if I get away from God, I've got to have something good. Well, if you'll study your Bible, you'll find that Solomon had ships that went to Tarshish every three years. And they went there, and when they returned, you know what they had? They had gold, silver, apes, peacocks, all kinds of neat things. And Jonah probably was thinking, hey, I know where those ships, man, they're always bringing some good stuff in. And if I'm going to run away from God, I'm going to go where the goods are. Typically, that's what we would think, right? I mean, none of us are just going to volunteer and say, I want to go to the slums. 
I want to go live there. No, most of us are thinking, hey, uh, you know what? I'm going to go try to find something good in my life. And I'm going somewhere this, this evening, trust me. But we have Jonah and he flees. Jonah chapter number one, we, we know the story more than likely that uh, Jonah is there in this boat, he's asleep, God sends a storm and the storm rises up, the, the, the mariners there, they're afraid, uh, they're, they're, they start casting out all the things in the boat, the wares of the boat, they're trying to preserve their life, they're crying out to their gods and nothing stops the storm. Then they wake up Jonah. They've done cried out to all of their gods and they wake up Jonah and they say, hey, you haven't cried out to your God. Cry out to your God. By the way, who are you? And Jonah tells them, hey, I'm, I'm an Israelite. I'm a Jew. And I'm running from the presence of God. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. I find it interesting. It says, uh, it says that they were exceedingly afraid in verse number 10. Why? Because they realized that they weren't in the storm. The storm is not what was their problem. It was the God of the storm. See, to those men, these men were lost men. These men were crying out to their gods, the little G's. And, 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 and they were crying out. And they realized, hey, they're not working. But when Jonah says, I'm running from God, See, these men more than likely already knew all about Jonah's God. And now they're exceedingly afraid. They, 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 they tell Jonah, hey, what do we got to do? Jonah says, hey, throw me in the water. Can I tell you this? I, I believe this with all of my heart. If you ever try to get away from God, it's not far down the road that you're willing to die. Jonah got suicidal here. But he got suicidal to the point he wasn't willing to throw himself into the sea. He wanted somebody else to do it. Why? Because then he could step back and say, well, it wasn't me. You ever know anybody like that? They don't want to take the blame for anything. And here's Jonah. He says, you guys got to throw me into the sea. But what I see about Jonah, and I don't know where this started in Jonah's life, but there's a progression that we find from the very beginning. Jonah's life goes downhill pretty quick. But it all starts when God tells him to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Do you all know anything about the Assyrians? Wicked people. So wicked, God was willing to wipe out an entire nation of the Assyrians. Some of the things about the Assyrian army, they were, they were a very warring people. Now, I'm not trying to be gross or graphic, but think about this. Here is Jonah, and God has told Jonah to go reach a people that in the past have taken war, that they've gone to war, and they would come up to a nation, they would come up to a castle, and they would take all the bodies of all those that they killed, and they would put them on stakes facing that city, and they would surround that city with death so that the people within the city were dead long before the army ever walked in because they would get in their minds. Jonah said, I don't want to go to those people. Jonah had no desire to reach those people. Jonah tells us over in chapter number four, he said, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry and he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was in my country? 
Therefore I fled before, uh, before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Jonah says, God, I don't want them to live. Jonah hated these people so bad he was willing to let them all die. Now, in the latter part of chapter 4, we find that there are basically uh, 120,000 that cannot discern from the left and the right hand. And I believe if I understand that right, it's not talking about people not knowing which is their left and right, but it's talking about the children, those that are of a young age. Uh, my, my little three-year-old Emily, she's in the back here, probably got somebody tied up. Somebody might want to check on them in a little bit. Uh, but, but Emily, she doesn't know we're left from her right. And you know that based on her shoes. Half the time, she don't have them on the right foot. But there's 120,000 of those. Now, granted, it takes two parents to have a child. So we can figure that at least 360,000 people at a minimum in this nation. I believe the books say, some of the commentators say over 600,000. And Jonah was willing to let them all die and go to hell because he hated them. In Jonah chapter 1, I believe God uses all this thing to get Jonah's eyes on him. But Jonah refuses to look at God. He's willing to die instead of obey God. In Jonah chapter number 2, we have Jonah's prayer. Ten times in chapter 2, the word I is used. Is that how we pray so many times? Oh, God, me, I, oh, God, I'm having these troubles. Oh, my life is bad. We focus on us. And, and, and I'll be honest, when I read through chapter number two, I don't really see a repentant man. I see a man that's still focused all on himself. And yet he's down in the belly of a whale and God's saying, hey, look unto me. And Jonah's like, oh God, I'm dying here. It's miserable. Jonah says, I cried for my afflictions. Through it all, Jonah, he's just looking at his life and saying, God, pity me. Chapter 3, we have Jonah. He, he gets up and he goes to Nineveh. The whale spits him out. He runs to Nineveh. Chapter number 4, or verse number 4 says, And Jonah began to enter in that city a day's journey. And he cried and said, Yet 40 days... And Nineveh shall be overthrown. Eight words. Wouldn't we like to hear a message like that sometimes? Eight words and we can go home. Praise the Lord. And I know some of y'all probably thinking the same thing. You said eight words, Brother David, let us go. But the response is what I love. Despite Jonah, I believe those mariners got saved. You'll read the latter part of the chapter. They, 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 there was a repentance there. I believe that in chapter number 3, despite Jonah, they repented. I've always heard, and maybe I've missed this, that Jonah preached repentance. But all he said was, God's going to kill you in 40 days. That was his message. Never gave him any hope, because in verse number 9, it says, Who can tell? This is the king saying this. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? They were, they, they were at the point of no hope. Jonah has preached and said, hey, uh, you're going to die. I mean, if I walked in here tonight and that was the only thing I said, is in 40 days you're all going to die. There's no hope in that. 
If we were diagnosed with cancer, and I know there's probably plenty of people uh, that have been diagnosed with cancer and other issues, if you went in and the doctor said, it looks like you're going to die, what's your next response? Well, doctor, is there anything I can do? We, we, we don't want to die. Physically, we don't want to die. And here's Shona, and he goes in, and he says, hey, God's going to kill you all because you're bad. You're wicked. Terrible people. That's the last thing we hear Jonah say to them. And yet they repent and they turn back to God. They turn to God. They, 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 they fast, they pray, they put sackcloth and ashes. I mean, they, they get the heart of God to the point of verse number 10. God saw their works and that they turned from their evil ways and God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them and he did it not. But what did Jonah do in verse number four, in chapter four, verse number one? But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And I read earlier where it says he prayed unto them, Lord, unto the Lord, and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying? And Jonah is a bitter man. He's mad because God spared somebody's life. Jonah is so full of hatred. He's so angry that he don't care who lives. But then he's suicidal again. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. What a miserable, miserable man. I mean, the greatest revival just happened. A whole nation, as far as I know, that's never happened anywhere else. Where the whole nation, from the greatest to the smallest, turned to God. Yet Jonah said, I'm I'm so mad, God, that you saved me, I'd rather die. Verse number four says, "Then Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. Now, I read verse number four and verse number nine, it's the same thing. And God said unto Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? We're gonna look at that in a minute. But in both of those verses, I find it kind of interesting, the first one especially. God says, Jonah, basically, why are you angry? What's your reason for being angry? And I think my wife's watching tonight, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this carefully so I don't get in trouble. But is that, and some of your husbands and wife will probably know this. Honey, what's wrong? Nothing. What's wrong? N- nothing. Nothing's wrong. I'm fine. I'm fine. My wife's laughing because I do that sometimes too. It's not just the women folk, it's me too. We're mad, we're upset over something, but we don't say anything, we just walk away. That's what Jonah does here. Anybody see themselves there yet? So Jonah went out of the city, went on the east side, he built them a little booth, a little shelter. He got so mad, I mean, God said, hey, I'm, I'm gonna spare the people. And Jonah gets mad, he goes up there, and makes them a little booth, and he sits down and he said, maybe God will still kill them. Jonah hated them so much. Then the Lord prepared a gourd and made it come over, came up over Jonah. 
that it might shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the Lord. That's the first time that I find Jonah glad. Here's Jonah. Man, he, he hates these people. God's had him in a whale. God, God's brought you know, revival to this city. And all he wants is those people just to die. And, and there's a gourd. There's this plant that starts growing. And Jonah's excited. And in the night, a worm comes up. And that gourd withers away. Then what happens to Jonah? And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Here's what God says. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. Now, I read these, and I'll be honest with you. Jonah has done lost his gourd. He is crazy, is he not? To, to be all upset over a vine, a gourd, to the point of death. How many of y'all would say he overreacted just a little bit? This is what God says. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it to grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? we would all agree that Jonah is beyond crazy at this point. He's suicidal. He's crying over a vine. We would all agree Jonah's crazy. There's reasons, and I don't know the reasons necessarily, but Jonah hates the Ninevites so much that it drove him crazy. But I got thinking about this, why? Why is Jonah at this point in his life? Jonah is, I believe, at this point in his life more than likely because of disobedience originally. But what caused him to be disobedient was what he saw and what he had heard and what had happened. See, the, the, this Ninevites, the Assyrian army, they were real people. They were a real danger to the nation of Israel. Jonah, I believe in the time that he prophesied, if I'm not mistaken, knew that God had already promised the nation of Israel that they would be destroyed by the Assyrians. And yet here's God telling Jonah, hey, they're going to come kill y'all eventually, but I want you to go preach to them now. So here are the people that want to kill them and God is planning on destroying the nation of Israel with. And God says, go preach to them first. Jonah doesn't want to go. But I believe this. And it's a simple thought, all right? But our focus many times, in Jonah's focus, is on the temporal and not on the spiritual. You say, that was a whole lot of groundwork to say that. I know. We covered all that 
But let me get your focus on this. God, I believe, is more concerned with the spiritual than the temporal. Now, what does that mean for you and I? Same thing. There are, there's a world out there that is dying and going to hell. But what is our focus on? I'll be the first one to admit I get caught up too much on the temporal. We, we, we have little things that bother us, things that annoy us. In, in Jonah's life, it says in chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah. That's often where it starts is our displeasure. Maybe, maybe we wanted the preacher to uh, give us a handshake and we didn't get it. Maybe I, maybe I walked by you uh, this morning or tonight and I didn't shake your hand and you've been sitting there thinking, well, why didn't he shake my hand? Now, I'm going to assume I'm not the only one that's ever thought that. Why didn't they shake my hand? Why didn't they talk to me? Why didn't, why, why, why didn't this happen? I, I mean, I've, I've, been at, I've been at my own church and, and, and my preacher has uh, done things and I thought, well, why didn't my preacher talk about me? I mean, I'm, I'm the missionary out of the church. Uh, I've sat in church buildings and, and the pastor know good and well I'm a missionary that's trying to get to the mission field to reach sinners and he doesn't mention me and I'm thinking, well, God, why? You know what I'm focusing on? The temporary temporal things. Things that really don't make a difference. Have you ever, have you ever been somewhere and somebody do something and you think, well, what have they got against me? Or that maybe my kid sneezed on you, and I'm sorry for that, but maybe they sneezed on you and thought, the, that missionary just didn't like me. He made his kid sneeze on me. Temporal things, temporary things. Jonah's focus was on the worldly temporal things instead of the spiritual. And because of that, I believe it drove Jonah to the point that he went crazy. He lost his gourd. But I believe if we look in every chapter, God is trying to get the focus of Jonah on him. God prepares four things in the book of Jonah. I don't know if you ever saw it, but God prepared a whale, a fish. That fish was to get Jonah's eyes on God. Jonah had nowhere to look in that whale except for God. I've, I've never been in a whale, but I have been near a whale. And I have eaten whale. And I've seen inside of a whale. There's not much room in a whale. My kids used to watch Veggie Tales and uh, Veggie Tales. If you've never seen it, it's a funny show. The Ninevites apparently in Veggie Tales hit each other with fish. I don't think that's what happened. But in the whale, in that in that story, there's Jonah and his boats in there, and it's just this big open cavern. Of course, there's a choir in there too. Apparently, they didn't read that in the scripture, but it was on the movie. But I don't believe that to be true. I believe Jonah was stuck inside that whale to where he had nowhere to move. Nowhere to look, pitch black. The only place he could look was towards God. And yet he didn't. I believe God, later on, he prepares a gourd. That gourd, God grew that gourd overnight. That's pretty good. Not having very many things grow overnight. 
But yet, what was that? God, what was God trying to do? Was to get Job's, Job, Job, him too, Jonah's focus on him. That worm killing the gourd. What was God trying to do? Was trying to get Jonah's focus on God. And then he prepare, he, he 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 prepares that wind that comes to get Jonah's focus on God. But all Jonah can see is his hatred for somebody or something that happened in the past. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't know most of you. I don't know what you go through. And I don't know why I'm preaching this tonight. But I'll be honest, I know God does. We don't always see the the, the hurt that we have inside of us, the anger that is there. It goes unnoticed, but what does come out is in our frustrations, those displeasures. Well, I'm not mad at the preacher, but there was this one time, you know, and I'm not, I don't know nothing. If if, if you're mad at the preacher tonight, be honest, Meathead does not talk about any one of you except for probably Jeffrey. And I don't even know where Jeffrey is. He's, he's in the sound room. So if you think, oh, he's talking about me, I don't know you. But look, I know me. And I know what the devil tries to do to get my focus off of God. I've sat in church services the whole time. The preacher sounded like the teacher on, on the peanuts. I didn't hear a word. Why? Because I was sitting there thinking, well, God, what about me? My focus was all on me instead of on God. When my focus is not on God, then, and I'm always looking here, well, the, the preacher's tie, I just don't like it. And I don't like the preacher's tie because six months ago he sneezed at me on purpose, I think. And the reason he sneezed on me, well, we, we have these reasons in our mind that we get there. The song leader didn't let me sing. They forgot to mention me in prayer. And, and our focus, and preacher, if I'm, stop me. If I, but our focus gets all on us. My microphone wasn't on when I sang. But you know what's happening through all of this? The world's not hearing anything from the church except bickering and complaining. When when I got down to Beckway, me and the other pastor are good friends. Brother Timothy Mitchell, he's filling in for me. I'll tell you about that sometime. But we did a tent meeting together. I put him on the flyer and me on the flyer. Not because I'm pretty, but I just wanted people to associate me and him together on purpose. And you know what one of the first questions I got was? They looked at that flyer and they said, I didn't think y'all liked each other. And I said, why is that? He said, well, you started another church. Didn't you get mad? And I said, no. He said, I started a church down on the other side of the island because they don't drive over here and they need the gospel. Oh, I, we, I just assumed you, y'all didn't like each other. I said, well, you assumed wrong. I said, why do you assume that? He said, well, none of the other churches get along. That man does not go to any church at all. But he knows that there's bickering and complaining. 
I was on the island of Union down in, the, in, in St. Vincent of the Grenadines, one of the islands we want to plant a church on. And I asked the taxi driver, because we drove, and, and there, there's a spiritual Baptist church down there. Mark it down, it's not spiritual and it's not Baptist, all right? But there's three of them on the island. And I already knew the answer, but I asked him anyways. I said, so these three churches, I said, do they get along? Man, that man about fell out of the van laughing. He said, absolutely not. He said, that was the first one up there. They got mad and split. And then this church over here got mad and they split and, and part of them came over to this one and, and then they got mad at this church and they went back over. And he was trying to explain to me and I thought, wow. But you know what? You know what amazed me? That's in, the, in an island that most of you can't find on a map, but they act the same way that we do here. But does it help God at all? Does it help the cause of Christ? When we run down God, you say, I've never run down God. No, but you'll run down God's church, you'll run down God's men. And the only thing that it's doing, and I'm sorry, preacher, I don't, I wanted to preach a different message. But all it's doing is driving a wedge between the church and the people that we're supposed to reach. Do we even care? I had to get over my feelings many a times. I hope my grandpa don't watch this. I used to work for my grandpa at a Bible camp. Me and him got sideways. If you ever worked with family, you know that happens. And if you ever work at anything, you know you're going to get sideways with people. And I was up where I used to pray, and I got up on that hill, and I began to pray. And you know what God told me? He said, I'm not listening to you. And so you go tell your grandpa you're sorry. You know what I told God? And I told him the truth. I said, but I didn't do anything wrong. And that was the truth. It was a misunderstanding. But you know what I had to do that night if I wanted God to answer my prayers? I had to chunk my pride Jump my feelings and go tell God, I'm, tell my grandpa I'm sorry. You know that happened more than once? Now I felt like a fool the second time I had to go do it. You know why? Because my pride don't like it. My feelings don't like it. I've had to get over a lot of things I didn't want to get over. Where people have actually done me wrong. Some of y'all know my, my little girl Katie, the one that's sick today. She, I, they think it's just an ear infection. Who knows? But when she got run over, and I know y'all prayed for us, but when she got run over, the, the man that ran over her, his name is Trevor. He's a friend of mine. Works at Lully's Fish Shop. I was upstairs putting in some security cameras for him, and one of the guys that was with me asked me, he said, he said, Dave, and I hate being called Dave, so if you call me Dave, I'll get mad at you forever. No, I'm just kidding. But he said, Dave, he said, I thought Trevor was the one that ran over your daughter. I said, well, yeah, he did. And he said, why aren't you mad at him? I don't know. I've never been mad at Trevor. I was never upset with Trevor. But in the minds of the world, they say, well, if he ran over your daughter, and she's fine. I mean, she's crazy, but she's fine. But in all of that, I could have got angry. Trevor's not saved. Still not saved. 
But I saw that man break down and cry when my little girl ran up and gave him a hug. She walked by his truck. It's <laughs> kind of funny. She walked by his truck. She goes, Daddy, isn't that a truck that ran over me? She just keep walking on. But I could have let those things, my feelings, my emotions get the best of me, and I could hold that against Trevor. But if I do, will Trevor ever get saved? More than likely not. Because even if he never hears the gospel from me, but I'm mad at him and I won't talk to him and I treat him differently, then every time Trevor hears the gospel priest, he'll think, well, that may be true, but that preacher down the road, you say, well, he shouldn't say that. No, he shouldn't, but it's what happens. David, when he committed the sin with Bathsheba, when he was confessing his sins, he said, Lord, forgive me. I'm summarizing. But God, forgive me so that sinners will be converted unto thee. Do you know what was keeping the sinners from being converted unto God? Was David's sin. You know what keeps most of the world out of our churches today? It's our sin. It may be a pastor, it may be a church. I know your pastor a little bit, but every time I've been around him, he's only talked good of every person in this church. And I've seen love in his heart for you. So if he ever done you wrong, mark it down, I don't think he's holding it against you. I've had a lot of people do me wrong. My grandfather's done wrong to me. And I love him to death. But you know what? Sometimes I didn't get the apology that I wanted. Sometimes I've not apologized to people because I don't remember. I've had people tell me stuff. Well, David, do you remember doing that? No, I don't. But I'm sorry I did it. But you know why I'm willing to put some of those things aside? And why I still struggle with different things that I'm trying my best to put aside? For the sake of the gospel. Jonah, as best I know, is the only book in the Bible that ever ends in a question. And I will... That's not it. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their, their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Church, you know why the world acts like the world? Because they don't have any discernment. But you and I do, if we're saved. I'm going to leave the same question to you. Should I not spare, you fill in the blank, Landis, China Grove, Kannapolis, Concord, America, North Carolina, whatever. Should I not spare them, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. Church, I think God's prepared a lot of things in our life, whether it be a storm, whether it be some things that swallow you up, whether it be some things from the blessings of God that cover us when we're weak and when we're grieving. 
Maybe it's a worm that will destroy some things in our life to get our focus back on God. And maybe it's some things that just need to blow us around. But I believe everything in our life brings us that we need to get our eyes focused on God. I'm not saying they're thinking, whatever you're facing is small. Everything to you is big. I look back over everything in my life and I can talk about my little girl getting run over by a truck like it's nothing because to me it's nothing. But that day it was everything. Whatever it is in your life, is it worth somebody dying going to hell over? Because I believe this, if you will not get rid of it, I believe it will kill you. may not physically, but I guarantee it will kill you spiritually. And eventually, probably physically. Church, I love y'all. And I, y'all mean a lot to me. Your church means more to me than you'd ever realize. And I'm thankful for what you do. But if we've got something in our life, and I'm talking to me too, I'm going to find my place in the altar down, by the altar down here. Because there's things in my life that I've let come between me and God to get my eyes off of Him to where I begin to look at all the, 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 the things around me to where I'm just letting people die and go to hell. I'm not preaching to just you tonight. I'm preaching to me too. Where is our focus tonight? Is it worth it? Is the little thing that you're holding on to, is it worth it? I'm done, preacher.